space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Well, hello again, everybody. Uh, this is uh, Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with my friend Bob, my friend Jim, and we are here to talk about episode four of uh, Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. And this one is called Memento Mori, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah. Remember Death, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. Is that what it means? Yeah. Memento. In what? In what? Be the moment of death, or something like that. No, it's remember death. is Essentially, the translation. From what? What? From what language? I think it's in Latin. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh. Klingon. <laughs> if it was Klingon, it'd be like. <laughs> well. Uh, to, I think to, to everybody, this is one, this is the best episode of the season for sure. And for me, it's like, I was saying, okay, how good is this episode? I mean, I had to go back to like mid next generation to find something this good. And Bob was thinking almost all the way back to, to the original series. Uh, I, I said, you could, you could, if you put Kirk and Spock and the original cast in here, you could have shown this as a first season episode of Star, the original Star Trek, and I would have totally went, yeah, okay, that's a really good episode from the first season of Star Trek. So that's about the highest praise that I can give anything. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, let's go to Bob. Bob, what kind of struck you in this episode? I mean, uh, I, oh, and for us, it also had some local tie-ins because the ship they kept talking about was the... Puget Sound, the yeah. Puget Sound, which we we live in the Puget Sound, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, anyway, Bob, what what were your, some of your takeaways? I thought it was just action packed from start to end. Right. Another thing I noticed is they um, they changed the way the battle like occurs. Like if you look at uh, Discovery, it all happens mostly outside the ship. Right. It, this one was more like the original where you would you were actually in the ship it, it, especially when you were they were getting hit it felt like really unnerving yes uh, they, they they mess with the sound effects yeah there's something because i felt i was almost happy with the episode getting over because i was so stressed out <laughs> <laughs> it was bizarre i mean I, I i haven't become that like viscerally involved with an episode in a long time and i guess part of it too was it it felt like every time they were doing something it, the the gorn were thinking ahead of them and so they were they were anticipating what they would do and it was playing into the gorn's hands and it was like oh are they ever going to be able to do something that's going to surprise the gorn uh, and things just kept on getting worse and worse and worse for them, uh, which spoke volumes of them too, never giving up and just keep trying, keep trying. But 
Jim, what were your kind of takeaways or thoughts? Yeah, yeah. By the by, the Gorn being able to kind of outthink them, that kind of showed that they were these relentless hunters. That you know, this is what they do. They, you know, they they hunt, and so they have these tactics, and they know what the prey is going to do because you know that's what it. That's all they do is is hunt. But uh, <coughs> oh, excuse me. yeah, very very good episode. I was uh, very happy with it. I I, I hope all the rest are as good um, yeah you know in, in this one it was that, know, that's pretty high expectations jim though <laughs> I, know, I, think, I know i think this is you know they're hopeful I, I, my hope would be that they have another one before the end of the seasons that's that's of this caliber no, i can't I think that you you can't get every single one being this caliber i would love it if they could but i mean i i, I have reasonable expectations i mean the episodes the the previous three were all excellent episodes. I, I loved every one of them. This one just hit it out of the park. Is the thing. So yeah, yeah. It was it was good though. I think you know, and I think it had a a good mix of a lot of the the characters in in the show. You know, without without being you know kind of a oh this is an episode for this particular person this is right. you know it was a nice mix a nice balance of of being able to see all of the main characters in action and i'll so agree with that, that. It, the balance was better i mean i guess if you were to say whose episode was this it'd be a long episode again but not by much i mean right. everybody had a lot more to do and and none of it felt i don't know uh, added on tacked on something like that it all felt like necessary or they're each doing their important piece i mean uh i suppose the person who got the least to do in this was probably number one because she was injured fairly early on and uh but she had some great scenes of her own of uh ordering them to because they were running out of plasma and ordering them to give it to other people and not her uh i thought said something about her character as well which was which was nice. Um, and uh, Manga had some nice pieces here. Certainly Chapel always has great bits yeah. that they do for her. And there was another scene where he had Chapel and number one together, which, so the same actress. No, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, they, they got that effect where they could show both the same actress in both roles. Uh, through the old Bewitched shows, they watched a bunch of those where she'd be playing her sister and things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They they brought in that 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 cinematographer from Bewitched to do this. It says in the end, thanks to Bewitched, sort of thing. So it's great. Anyway, Jim, yes, and you're muted, Jim, but uh, keep feel free to keep talking that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just saying that um, you know special effects are better these days and and stuff, so they can put them in. And Bewitched. Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> oh man, I don't they know. Them in the, the well, shape. someday they'll reach the monsters quality or uh, Adam's family quality. <laughs> and they just add. Uh, they 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 actually use like an iPhone to record this to film this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they put a, an Instagram filter on the phone. For well, they find the best technique is using an iPhone three. It takes the best uh, pictures. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You, you can see in a couple of scenes where they just stand right in front of each other and, and there's like a clear like delineation right between the two of them. Um, yes. You know, so it, it was a little different. But yeah. <laughs> or the scenes where you see them 
looking like they're holding up their phone, filming themselves in a selfie, but you're supposed to just ignore the fact their arm is in a strange position. But <laughs> one thing that was kind of interesting is in the in TOS, you don't they seem like they're vicious, but they don't seem like they seem like they could be reasoned with, but maybe not. I don't know. In TO, if you go back and watch the arena, I, what it reminded me of. If you ignore the whole part on the planet with Kirk and the Gorn captain, but you go back and you see what they were doing on the uh, the first planet they go to where uh, yeah, they they're, they're being bombed, they're being shelled and things are going on and they're having to try and outthink the Gorn and everything. That's what more reminded me of was that whole kind of ta- trying different tactics and going, okay, this should work and maybe this will work. Which also reminds me of, uh, like you were saying, uh, what's it called, Pat? Uh, the other episode with the Romulans on it. Oh, Balance uh, of Terror. Balance of Terror. Yeah. The only thing is, though, terror. I mean, at the end, uh, the the governor saying, "Well, you trespass on our planet, and we were defending ourselves. They right. weren't like we were out hunting you." Right. Yeah, I would say that is a difference. You are correct that that the original TOS played it off as oh maybe we were infringing on them and didn't realize that maybe this was our fault that this all happened in this case it was strictly luring them in and the gorn the whole time were just said they're they're making the gorn much more vicious at least at this point in their history maybe 10 years later they become less that i don't know but but it makes it an interesting villain i mean it makes them it brings them closer to a level of kind of the Borg or something. Yeah, so I was the villain. Um, I love the fact they didn't show them. I love the fact it was all without that. Even even Balance of Terror definitely showed both sides, right? This one just showed the one side. So it made it very different than all the, which is good. I mean, I, I was glad. It, it, the difference between certainly Balance of Terror and Wrath of Khan are compared a lot because they're very similar and feel like it's submarine warfare sort of thing. But you see both captains uh, always trying to outdo the other one and figure things out. In this case, we only see the one side, which I think gives it a, a novelty to it that's different than those other two and makes it stand out as different, which I think was smart. And it sort of has that Jaws sort of feel of keeping you kind of more in suspense because you never see the enemy. You All you see is their ships every once in a while and things. Um, and I, I love the scene where they had this ship. They, they, Spock figured out how to essentially create their own sonar that kind of worked. And then they position themselves above the ship and they realize the other ship can't see them, thinking it's the only ship that's pursuing them. And then they take their last fortune torpedo and drop it right on the ship and blow it up. And so they're like, oh, good, we've succeeded. End of episode. Yeah, I looked but, down and said, I'm looking at, uh, I'm only halfway through. I guess yeah. it's not over. Exactly. <laughs> right? And so, uh, and then all of a sudden, immediately they show up with two other ships that are like the first one and a third ship that's a bigger ship. And they're like, oh my gosh, they, they wanted us to do that. They wanted us to destroy, they sacrificed one of their ships and their entire crew, you would think, unless they beamed almost all of them off or something, uh, to, to just so we they can find us. 
Um, and what a beautifully vicious thing. And it, and it, and it makes you takes, takes what you're feeling about these aliens and knocks it up a whole nother level to, Oh my gosh, that is seriously vicious stuff. If you're willing to kill that many people just in order to find them. So anyway, that, that seemed to struck me a lot. I don't know if it struck you as much Jim or not as it did me with that, but it was just like, wow. Well, that was probably the one that I had the most problem with. Okay. You know, because it's like, okay, so, so we just blew up a photon torpedo, but nothing really works in this gas giant, right? No, no sensors, no anything. And, oh, we have to do this special thing to be able to detect these other ships and stuff like that. But so because of the photon torpedo, maybe it was big enough that they could do it, but it was like, they were talking about how it just totally messed with the sensors and the targeting and everything else. and stuff like that. So if they're sitting, you know, farther away or so you're out- saying you don't feel like the Gorn would have been able to detect them even though they blew up the other ship. Right. They, they might have they wouldn't have been able to detect where they were in there or or at least not accurately where they were in there. Sure. You know, well, and- also it it feels to me like okay, you blow up this ship. I could totally see them show up and be like, oh now we know where you're at at this moment. Right, but it's like, okay, does that mean it, it covered my ship with some sort of thing that you can see me now when I move off, or or are you just heading to where I was, and if I just move away from that spot, I know where you're going. See me again. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm essentially cloaked. Yeah. Right. And at that point, you know where they're going to, so now you're you're ready for them. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're right. If anything, it would seem like it would be to your advantage because you slide off of that spot, but keep your well, I guess they have no guns or anything to train on that spot, but essentially you would hope that you'd be able to, they're going to fly there and you'd be able to attack them. But I guess at that point they had no weapons left, right? Because the yeah, phasers weren't working. But they could just move off from there yeah. and, you know, just like but the that. Other that is the problem where I've heard, I've heard, you know, I've listened to a few podcasts on it, you know, where they've been talking about this episode and a problem that people have, if they have any problems, I mean, most people just love it, but, but anyone who has a problem, this is like, there's a lot of things that are just convenient. Oh, conveniently they attacked and, and took out all of the, the photon torpedoes except for one. And, you know, conveniently they've knocked out the, the phasers and they, they don't have warp power. I mean, there's a lot of things. But on these, on these any of these shows that are like this, there's always that piece that, that makes, that's what makes it interesting. Also- that they have a battle without their shields and a battle and, and, and and so you have to kind of go with that. But Bobby, also, say, any smart commander tries to knock out his enemy's weaponry right. first. I mean, any of his capabilities, like you go out and try to bomb airfields so people can't fly out. You're going to yeah. attack their try to attack their military infrastructure. So I would assume the Gorn would target those places. Right. Well, they knew where they were. Right. Yeah. Especially if they were interested in capturing them for food or whatever you know you're not just going to blow their ship up they're going to do the same thing that the that the enterprise and everybody else does if they you know they don't want to blow up a ship you know it's like oh target their weapons target their right you know and and stuff like that so i could see them doing that okay that's good that helps me from from so now I can ignore all those ignore all those other podcasts that have been talking about this. They don't know as much as we know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they tune into ours. 
<laughs> that's right. That's right. To get the definitive word <laughs> from the from the experts. <laughs> no, but, uh, I, and I was trying to think of what else. I mean, the acting on this was superb. I thought throughout, everybody did a great job. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to point out, and we're just going to go all over the place like we always do. But the um, one thing that's been pointed out by a number of people is it feels like. Uh, someone posted a meme that was uh, a Pike saying in the original cage pilot, right? Saying, I just can't get used to having women on the bridge uh, as he's talking about. Uh, and I, I think we've mentioned that quote before. Uh, and then it shows a picture below of the new Pike surrounded by his bridge crew, which is entire bridge crew, except for Spock is, is women. So he's, he's got all the women there surrounding him and things. Um, and just kind of showing that it's a little lot, and, and folks have been saying it's a little lopsided how many women they have and things. I, I think for the show, if you look at the show, I think they have nine main characters. And of the nine, four are men and five are women. So it's pretty down the middle. But I think what happens is the reason that you feel like and the reason that they might have want to cast it a little differently um, is the fact that almost all of them are bridge officers. And then they've got the males, they've got Spock and Pike on the bridge and that's it. And every the other males are uh, the, the chief medical officer, of course, Mbanga. And so him, you only see pretty much when you see the, uh, you know, in the, in the medical section. And then you've got your chief engineer that you only see in the engineering section and who's not even in like every episode necessarily. So it makes it seem like it's just dominated by all these women. Um, and the other piece I don't love about that is you essentially have other than number one, right? All your other main positions, the, 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 the highest ranking positions on the ship are all male, right? And so that's, a little dicey. I mean, I, I guess you could say it looks like maybe Laon's character is higher in the pecking order than Peck. <laughs> no, she's higher than Spock, I think, because she's essentially third in command. I don't know where Spock is in the command structure on this ship. I assume he's like fourth in command or something. Um, anyway, does does any of that strike you guys as anything, or is it just the way it is. I mean, does it bother you that there's so many women on the bridge or that it seems like women dominate the show or anything like that? Doesn't bother me. Okay. Bob? You just, you just want to know. No, I, I think it would be better if it was balanced, but just just from most things in society are balanced, right? There's pretty much even number of men and women. Right. Um, I, guess, I guess what I would do to balance it, honestly, all they need to do, all they would, we have this one character that I don't even know if we, anybody, I don't even know if her name's been mentioned. Uh, she's the Asian woman that uh, sits in whose seat? Uh, that would be uh, Chekhov's Chekhov's seat, seat, right? Yeah. Originally, right? And the other one is Ortega, who's, who sits in the spot that would historically be Sulu flying the ship, of course, right? So I think if you would have switched that to a male, I don't care, Asian, any male, 
one thing I always liked in the original that they've never really had in any of the other versions is this, the two people sitting next to each other that would banter a little bit back and forth and things between Sulu and Chekhov. And I always loved that banter that they would have. And I think banter between a man and woman that sit in those spots could be a lot of fun. And, and Ortega, she's got a great attitude that she would be a fun one to, to have banter off of. And we're not even getting that with the with the woman they have sitting there because she's essentially just sitting there and and they haven't developed her character or anything at all. So they could switch it to a male character. I mean, they can leave it as female. I don't care, but I'm just saying that'd be one way to make it feel less like because the shot you'd always get would be of a man and woman sitting there and then pipe behind them. And so it would just feel like on the bridge there was a better balance. But that's my opinion. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me either. It just doesn't seem natural, though. Like, what doesn't seem natural? Though? I mean, I, I don't mind it. It just doesn't seem natural. Like, because, you know, up till probably when people get to be 60, because women live longer, there's usually about the same number of men and women. Right. Roughly. Yeah, there's, there's, there's situations, I mean, just in workplaces right now. I mean, you go into your workplace and then, you know, Daryl's is probably more women than men. Yeah, in his workplace, your workplace with Jim, engineering stuff pig, like you. that, probably more <laughs> men than women. Yeah, engineering is like mostly men, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, same it, with mine. It, and, it, it have, and it's fun to me. It doesn't take anything away. It's just there's certain things in dynamics that are kind of can be kind of fun and played with, and they and it it doesn't allow them to play with some of that stuff. And you have different things. Um, I mean, I, even if even if they don't go with a male even if they keep the female there, the Asian woman, but they need to develop her character and, and have them have some side comments to each, I, I think would be cool. And it would also make people think of, I mean, there's lots of things where they're trying to get kind of going, oh, this is kind of like TOS. And if they had some banter going back and forth between those two positions, it would feel like, like TOS. Um, well, she the the Asian lady. I hate to, I mean, they haven't really told us anything about her, so we get no way to describe her other than the Asian lady, which is I know, right? And, and so I'm not trying to be. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Yeah, think, I don't like, even, like I say, I don't even think the character has been given a name, but she's been at that position. I think in every episode. Well, so, this episode, she was actually over at the uh, since Ohura was was stuck in the. Oh, she took over her job. Day. She was over on communications for. Well, who did they have? Who did they have in her spot then? next to her take it you know i don't remember but she was over on communications yeah i'll have to watch it again to see if they if they put a male character there or a female or who i don't know and and then chapel (laughs) and ortega herself actually it wasn't number one for part of it wasn't number one at at that position i think lawn yeah that wouldn't be surprised me no not milan number one number one number one was injured right away no, she wasn't injured until they picked up the people and everything else. Well, yeah, but that was with the bridge thing they had going across to bring the people across. That's yeah. where she was injured. That's in the first. Maybe no, what well, has to be was, in the first fifteen minutes of the show. Maybe, maybe it was. Uh, her name is her wow. name is Lieutenant Jenna Mitchell. Oh, maybe she's Gary's brother, sister, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, and as far as Ortega goes. I almost find her a little annoying, just just in the fact that she doesn't seem so professional. Correct. You know, 
um, the, the comments she makes and everything else to me seem like they would be out of place on a she she reminds me a little bit of on discovery their engineer that's sometimes there what's what's that engineer's name yeah i know what you're talking about yeah i also thought that people brian no no on discovery also <laughs> thought her acting yeah. was the one weak spot in the show what's the weak spot the navigators or the pilots or, or was one of one of the weak spots okay because I know they're like trained Star Trek, but she's so flippant, like you're about to die. Even like Sulu and Chekhov were, they look like they were frightened, but doing their job. She right. looks like, oh, I'm going to get vaporized or I'm going to get struck. <laughs> I'm going to make a joke about it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be that harsh to her. I, I, I like the character. I, I think one thing is she's had no episode devoted to her yet or anything so we haven't gotten that deeply into her character thank goodness we've had, we've had little bit she she's been she and chapel have both been very similar in, in a way one they're both flippant characters but two they've been like had these nice little featured pieces but not been like the main thrust of any episode so so it's like they're trying to develop their characters without having an episode targeted on them i mean and maybe. so and they've done a pretty nice job of giving us a piece of their characters the problem is you're going okay is there more to this person or are they simply a flippant in the case of chapel or in a kirk in ortega's case both flippant and kind of uh what uh overconfident and and is that is that the only character traits this person has so they they need to de they need to have an episode or two about them to, to develop their character and what they're about before i think before we 100 percent decide that we like them or dislike them i mean i, I was, was going to say yeah, essentially just, the same thing you guys are saying about about ortega's character i was going to say about hemmer's character is like kind of working for me and kind of not i'm like i'm like okay is that how, is this going to work long term he's he's the grumpy he's sort of a taking a little bit of, of like Dr. McCoy and putting him in the engine room and having having Dr. McCoy's personality on the engineer um, is what I kind of feel like, but I don't know. I mean, what it, it, am I in the right ballpark there with Hemmer? Bob, well, I think you, you saw him change a little bit during this episode. Too. They were trying to, uh, to soften him up a little bit, right? Yeah, I think yeah. You know, that's, like at the first he was a little more rough, but I think at the end he became a little you know more and if that's what they're going to do with his character arc then i'm i'm cool with that if they're going to because it's fine you can have somebody be prickly and then eventually be but with a heart of gold or whatever underneath there or whatever um but you already that's kind of, kind of what they start to play with a little bit i agree you do um, see that even like the first episode or was the second episode when he's like when he's having an interaction with a guru and then yes. he's like, oh, I like her. So you yes. do see like there is another side to him. Yes. He just doesn't show it. Right. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I'm going to have a problem in the long term. I'm saying right now I just see, if I if I was going to say the characters I see some red flags on, the red flags would be on Hemmer somewhat and Banga a little bit because is he going to be an interesting character in the long term? He's got this thing with his daughter and that's about it. Also, someone was saying online, 
what happened to his daughter during the battle when they're diverting the power from everywhere? There is no power. And there is no power. So is she now gone? I mean, they should have the next episode be, oh, I've lost my daughter. The buffer's gone. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know. My I think the Ortega's only, I, I don't know if they wrote her this way and she had no choice, but it didn't seem natural. She's like, oh, you almost make it sound fun. Like, you know, we're about to, that kind of bugged me. Like we're about to die. Well, she did, she did give him some looks to, to Pike. She and Pike had a few little scenes together, sort of. And like, you really want me to do this? Or this is what we're going to do? Sort of, sort of these side glances that made her look like she's doubtful about what they're going to do. Um, didn't always verbalize it, but uh, definitely... Yeah. She didn't seem overly confident in, in the whole thing. I mean, you're paying her out to be overly confident. She's been overly confident in past episodes. This episode, she actually looked like she was like, I don't know, is this the best thing to do? Well, I guess we'll do it. But well, I mean, uh, even as you yeah. know, some of her comments during this time when you know she seemed to almost be like she was questioning the orders and, and what they're supposed to do, and right. they're in the middle of this battle, and she's making jokes and or, or questioning the the orders that she's been given, right. you know, it's like, it's like, no, you don't question the orders. You do them. We're in, we're in the middle of a battle. You just. Right. I can, I can but, see that. I can see that they could, they could have for this episode, they probably should have toned down the character. So you would think a person that's kind of flippant like that would in the heat of battle, flip their personality and go to, okay, I better go into serious mode now yeah i mean if you're just you know cruising around or whatever you know you can joke around and stuff like that now you're in the middle of battle and you you know like start questioning orders and right making jokes like, they, oh. i do miss uh sky the delivery yeah. this is a completely fused captain <laughs> <laughs> i could see Howard deliver some scotty lines that would actually work pretty well I would think. or the the other thing they didn't do is have the ship tilt and have them run side to side <laughs> I will say about this series, no matter what anybody says, I mean, we're all saying that the episodes have been great and stuff so far. Whenever you, the three of us were talking about Discovery early, or or even, even Picard early on, we would be stumbling over all the names of the characters and things and, and, and talking about, I mean, I still do. We were just at last episode referring to the redhead girl on, on, uh, woman on on discovery that was Det detmer right yeah it was detmer and we all knew once somebody said detmer but the thing is on this show we're only four episodes in and we're pretty much going talking about ortega we're talking about mbanga we're talking about chapel i mean certainly chapel and her give us a, a a jump up half the 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 crew we already knew so we're that not weird guy with spotty with the the, the the pointy ears pointy ears guy with the, with the, the eyebrow thing yeah, spoke yeah. Or something like that. I, I like him i think he should be featured more if anything if they have a follow-up series to this he should be a bigger part of it yeah he'll 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 never go anywhere they'll kill his kid oh oh you think he's done okay yeah. he's one of the we also people. have uh <laughs> that guy that the transfer achieved kyle, kyle. he's his his the actor's name is andre day kim i wonder if he's uh Related to Daniel Day Kim, the guy from Lost. Well, let's. Uh, <laughs> it's a fairly common name. Kim, when you Kim, yeah. when you're talking Korean, oh, but not, like but not, Smith or maybe Joe. Kim is, but not Day Kim. Yeah, it's, it's Daniel Day Kim, and this guy's named Andrew Day Kim, which makes yeah. you wonder. 
Because you already have Ethan Peck related to Gregory Peck. Who, who's Ethan Peck? Who's Ethan, Ethan Peck? Spock. Spock. Yeah. Oh. And he's his great grandfather is uh, Gregory Peck. Yeah. Right. Daryl did answer my question. Wayne Mosmos Machisto. Gregory Peck. <laughs> Ethan Peck. No. Lloyd Bridges. Low bridges. It gotta be low bridges. Always a low bridge. The answer to that is always low bridges. So, <laughs> Sorry, that was but, a tangent. Anyway, but uh, I, I, I think they did a phenomenal job picking these characters. The way they're bringing the characters out, I think, is excellent. Oh, Kyle, I wanted to mention Kyle. Kyle is a transporter officer on the original TOS, and is in a number of episodes. Right. He, He's one of those characters that eventually gets a name and and they refer to him. He never gets much of anything. There's never been an episode of Star Trek devoted to Kyle on the original. And uh, it's one of those things where they got a little, some fans are like, oh, well, they changed him to an Asian. They shouldn't have done that or whatever. But I I don't have a problem, especially for the minor characters. I mean, whatever you're going to do. I, I, I just like having some of the same characters on. So I'm good having Kyle be the transporter officer and things. Uh, it looks like he's not going to be any more developed in here than he was on the original. We'll see if there's an episode devoted to him. He In this episode, he had a little more to do. He he met one of the, one of the seven. Um, the seven people being... Uh, apparently, every I didn't pay attention. I have to go through it again and watch. But the seven people who died uh, during the battle all had a scene, at least a scene or two before they died, where you, where the, you can see that they were a person on the ship, and they they have a scene with one of the established characters, and so that and that's one thing that probably seemed a little awkward at the beginning, kind of like uh, like if you're going to watch the Titanic or Poseidon Adventure or something, where you're getting a little flavor of these people because they're people that are going to die later and they want you to kind of feel something for them versus nothing. So they show you a character. Yeah, that that the was something... the one that really came across. I think when they died, of course, was the one who, uh, who did he say? Was, he, was it Kyle that he saved by shoving him through? I think it was, I think, I think it was Kyle that the, the bulkhead yeah. was closing yeah. and Kyle was trying to get him to come through. And he, but he knew they wouldn't both make it. So he shoved Kyle through <laughs> and then got, that, that's that's something that a lot of fans complain about discovery was they would have an unknown character they'd give you a little bit of backstory then they would kill him off yeah <laughs> but in this case it was different because then it was sometimes like a character that had been it was more like if you killed off mr kyle you killed off transporter chief kyle or whatever because he hasn't been developed much and then all of a sudden you develop him for one episode and kill him that that's what it was like on discovery on this one it was more like I say, like Poseidon Adventure or something, in that you are seeing this character for the first time, getting a little glimpse into their into their world, and then they they died. So we care about them. They didn't kill off any main character uh, on this. Episode. But what? But what was Kyle's first name? I, I just says it should be Kyle, Kyle, but I think it was his last name. I think it should be Kyle. Kyle. I think that'd be really cool if he did that. John, I, mean, I think it John was it Kyle. Zig. Zig Kyle, I think. No, no. That was in the mirror universe. <laughs> it wasn't Zig Kyle? That, that was in, in the mirror universe. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> John Kyle. John Kyle. Oh, 
I never knew. So such a unique first name. <laughs> I like how last episode I was saying that the Lon, I'm assuming your last name might be Khan, so it's Lon Khan. I'm like, wait a minute, that's his first name, so that would make no sense. It's, it's Lon Nunian Sung is what her name is, but anyway. Um, hey, <laughs> oh, my, there everything's go. changing on me. What's going on? Oh, I see you taking over, and, and that's why our <laughs> screen is going so weird. And you can't block him now because if you block him, he can't unmute himself. I know, right? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so he can go touch with our picture of Mr. Kyle. That is Mr. That's Kyle, right. yes. Yes. And very good. seldom in that outfit. He was normally in that strange sort of, I don't know, what, what was that outfit that they wore in the original TOS that essentially, <laughs> what did it look like? It, it was with the sleeves that were like half sleeve. It was almost like a, I don't know, for anything better, it looked like a samurai outfit or something that they'd wear on the original <laughs> series. And, and they'd taken this Kyle and they put him in something similar to, you know, a different, he's got a different outfit than everybody else on this as well, which I think is interesting and fun. Um, anyway, what else okay. we got? Uh, so, uh, let's we decide we haven't really been rating the episodes so i think we'll start rating them on a scale of one to ten of like, just to get what everybody thinks about them so uh on this episode what did uh i, I well, i'll start it off and just say i'm giving it a 10 out of 10 for me because i just i don't i don't know how you do much better than this with any star trek and and i was saying before we got on the air that it would fit with the original TOS or it would, it would be like uh, as good as some of the very best episodes of the next generation, in my opinion. Um, anyway, so that's, I give it a 10 out of 10. Bob, what would you rate this episode as? Yeah, probably 10 out of 10. Sweet. Jim? Yeah, I, I would probably have to go with 10, 10 out of 10 as well. You know, wow. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a good episode. Yeah. You know, it was, I liked it. it was a good episode. It was a standalone episode and stuff. You know, there there might have been other episodes along the way that you know you had that were pretty good that that were part of a whole big long story arc and stuff right. like that. But it's kind of hard to really you know pick those because they they're just part of a bigger story, a small part into a bigger story. Right. It's hard to compare this. I can compare to essentially all the star trek in the past it's easy to compare it to but it's hard to compare it to like an episode of picard or an episode of of discovery because those shows i mean they they do have individual it's so interesting because they're they're proceeding on a narrative that goes through the season but they also do have a beginning middle and end to the individual episodes so they kind of can stand alone some of them certainly there was one and we we all talked about it a lot when it came up was in the second season of discovery it was like the second or third episode featuring pike where they go down to that plant they go down to the planet and it felt more like a standalone episode it felt uh, more like tos when we mentioned it at the time and i think we were rated that one as very high episode as well that's the only episode i can really relate to relate this to and i i give that episode like an eight out of ten from from that one but so it wasn't as good as this for sure. Um, 
but let, let's go back through since we haven't rated any other old episodes, any other episodes, and we're going to start rating them all anyway. Um, let's go just go backwards one week. Let's go to uh, the episode from last week. Well, that wasn't the one with Ahura. That was the one from the week before, right? The last, last week was the one with, uh, with where they were. They found out she was a uh, alien. Number one. Oh, that's right. It was the number one episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where? How, how would you guys rate that one in a scale from one to ten? Do you think six, maybe? Okay, Bob. I, I think I give that one an eight. Okay, I'm going to give it a seven, and so we're sort of <laughs> right in there. Yeah, six, yeah. seven. Eight. Now, now let's go to the episode before that, the one with Ahura. Probably the, in my opinion, the best like Ahura episode probably ever done, because it actually featured her using her linguistic capability. It featured her. Uh, I don't know. I, I just really, really enjoyed that one with Ahura, and felt like Ahura always historically had deserved some kind of showcase like that and never got that. So it was nice for her to, to get that. That um, was the, the asteroid one, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to give that one a nine and a half out of 10. I think it was, it was almost, but it certainly wasn't at the level of this one. So it was almost there. It's a nine and a half out of 10. Um, Bob, what do you think of that one? Probably six. And uh, not because of Ahura. I liked Ahura. But what I had, my problem with it was, like Jim's comment, they didn't really, they just jumped to a conclusion and it was no real, seemed like methodology of figuring things out. That was, that kind of bumped me out of it. Otherwise I probably would have rated it higher. Right. Totally get that. Jim? Yeah, probably about a seven or so. I mean, I would rate, rate, rate that in the last one, probably about the same, you know, so you know, maybe the other one a little higher than six, but you know, seven-ish or so. They were they were good episodes. They weren't great episodes. They but they were you know, not 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 bad episodes either. They were worth worth watching and you know, good episodes. So, see, and I think that I think what's nice about this rating thing is it points out the differences between us because I think I tend to, if an episode features a character and gives us more depth in that character it means a lot to me and and to you guys i think it's more the the plot and making sure there's not holes in the plot and things of the episode whereas some of those episodes that are character focused can mean more to me even if their plot doesn't 100% work um so that that's probably where that differential comes on that i, I, mean, I think i think i don't know what it is like you have this is an hour and so was star trek roughly right original yeah. yes. you look at the pacing difference of that episode with Uhura kind of doing the same thing Spock did with the obelisk. It's like, I don't know if they got to cram extra stuff into it. The pacing is just so fast. They don't have time to, like in the TOS one, Spock is like sitting in his, right, in his quarters staring at this obelisk and McCoy comes in. But, and the pacing is a lot different. It takes him a lot longer yes. and you see the process. Well, as they, they slowed down the pace, this pacing is slower than, say, Discovery. Discovery yeah. is just lightning fast. Well, was, so, was so the last episode was pretty fast, but needed to be. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it, it's tricky. I mean, they're 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 walking a, uh, you know, they're they're walking a tightrope with trying to make it 
old school like TOS, and yet they can't cut. They don't feel like I don't think they feel like they can completely go there because people will be bored with the with the speed of it because everything's so much faster these days. But I think I think Discovery goes overboard the other way and sometimes it's, it's moving too fast especially in the first few in the first season let's say that that thing just ran fast they've slowed it down essentially every year since then i mean has gotten slower yeah. than the previous year now i think they're almost too slow in some ways in on discovery um in my opinion maybe we're, we're old but you maybe look at uh balance of terror it's pacing yeah. is not even close to this last right. episode well, I guess one of the problems I've always had with next generation episodes is, and it's a generalization, but it's a lot of people have said the same thing, is that it seemed like the pacing was sort of slow for the first 40 minutes or 35 minutes of the episode. And then they have to go, oh, we got to end this. So you'd end it with this quick closure piece at the end. And it just didn't feel like it was earned or that it was... Uh, you know, it just felt like, oh, they just had to tidy up the episode and end it. And so you get that feeling. And, and I think that's a little more of the feeling that came with the Ahura episode had a little more of that where the episode itself was interesting, but the, the, the coming up with the solution was kind of just tagged on there at the end. And, and that's a problem and you don't want to run into that. But the rest of this series so far hasn't had that problem. So I think, yeah, I remember there's a lot of people complain about discovery because it feels you get so burned out on the constant adrenaline that you just, after a while, you just are too tired to go on. Cause well, it, and it, folks it, are saying too, that the, you've got the adrenaline piece going and all the and emotion. They're always trying to build characters at the same time, characterization. So it just seems like everybody's kind of in this soap opery sort of thing when when they're obviously in a life and death situation and they're all like talking about their deep feelings and stuff and it just doesn't seem to to jive that well like for instance in this episode it's a life and death situation that i guess was more of a discovery sort of thing they go through this almost every week that they're in a life and death thing but the characters by and large were fairly serious on this episode and took it seriously and were working through the issues they had to work through. The ones that bothered you, the guys, the most is Ortega, who didn't seem to take it as seriously and probably took it more, kind of dealt with it in a way that Discovery would kind of deal with it, but they deal with it with all their crew that way versus uh, this. So, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, now, I think, too, you know, personally, I like the episodes that uh, have more balance with, with different people as opposed to single you know, focus on a, a particular yes. person. Um, but, but also I think, uh, you know, part of the reason where I like these episodes better than some of the, the other ones is the, the other ones, the, this one tells a story that's just the story contained all in this episode. Um, whereas the other ones are trying to further the the greater arc and then at right. the same time tell you a, a compelling story and and so it it, try, it tries to put so much Getting in that there. balance right is tough right yeah, yeah. And, and if they could take out all of the the you know the 
the stuff that has to do with the, the furthering of the story, the furthering of the, yeah. the long-term story. Then that gives them more time to actually have an, an enclosed episode that is, is winds up being better than. Right. So. Yeah. It's interesting to see if discovery did like an hour and a half episodes, would that work better? I don't know. It's, yeah. it, it's interesting. Or would they, would they seem too long? I, I, I'm not sure, but I, yeah, this, this, so working for me this this season of shows and everything. Um, let's go back and grab the first one then, because we haven't talked about that. So the first one, how would you rate that one? Um, it's establishing characters. To me, it was a little truncated. The story was because they were, they were doing so much character work, but I expected that. So it didn't surprise me that that's what happened. Um, I did like the parts on the planet. I did like the the humor and things that went with them beaming down and some comedy mixed in there um, to talk about Spock's shorts that he appeared in and everything, which is kind of fun. Um, so I'd rate that one with like an eight and a half or something. Um, it didn't have to be a pilot because it, it wasn't like they were trying, they'd already sold the series. So it didn't have to be this, this big pilot thing. And so I think that's a piece of it too. Um, it, it made it, where it could be more of a normal sort of episode beginning. Um, anyway, so that's what I would give it. But Bob, what were your thoughts on that? On the first one, what would you rate that one at? Seven and a half, maybe eight. Okay. In the same ballpark as me then. Jim? Yeah, I, I would probably give it my my seven. You know, I'm consistent seven. <laughs> it's like if it's a really good episode, you get a ten. If it's if it's a good episode, it gets a seven. If it's bad, it gets like a five or something. Yeah. Well, you've given a couple sixes now. I think on at least one well, of them, right? Well, no, that that six, I I'm going to bump that one up to seven. You're going to bump it up, okay? All right. But what about so, Karen? What about Karen and Nava? What did she give it? Six. <laughs> So, I would say the, the thing that would happen, in my opinion, if we were rating, say, the original series or any any of this other Star Trek series, you'd have essentially, you know, you'd have your your tens and your sevens, but you'd have the occasional four or three episode for me that I would rate really low. This season so far hasn't had any of those. I, my guess is... I, now, the one caveat for me is they did make the first five episodes available to a lot of different folks. Not to, I don't know why they didn't send them to us. They should have sent them to us and that we review Star Trek all the time. But some of the other reviewers got the first five episodes sent out to them where they could watch them. So I don't know if that means, did they send out the five best episodes and front load the season with their best work? And then, and then we're going to have a bunch of clunkers at the end. Or is it going to be solid throughout? I wonder, um, if they, wonder if they took any feedback from them and tweaked it. <laughs> tweaked yeah. It. Not that I, as far as I know, no one, you would think they would have mentioned that if that's the case. All of them seem like, no, they, the same episodes they're seeing now were the same episodes they were sent early. So, um, and there, and the reviews were great of those first five episodes and, and so far, we're right along with them. We haven't seen a clunker. Uh, next week's will be interesting. Next week's, next week's is, is, is one with is, is the, uh, the takeoff or spin on what, uh, what's it called? A muck time that they did in the original series. So 
it's it, it's really cool that they've redone that essentially that same area of Vulcan that we saw for that episode with the same uh, weapons, the same everything, um, and a really nice done a really nice job of it. Um, and so we have to is he going to fight Captain Pike? I I actually they in, in Ready Room they showed a scene from that episode. I'm not going to tell you who he fights other than it was a total surprise who he fought. And so, but he does Ortega. fight someone. Ortega? Yeah. <laughs> no, he fights, he, he fights he Kyle. Leaves. Who's going to win? One of them dies. One, either, either Kyle or Spock dies. Which one's going to <laughs> Asian lady on the bridge that we don't know her name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He fights her. Though. Do we have a Richard guy? No. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's going to be it. I would, when they showed it, I was like, oh, what a creative, different thing to do. Um, and perfect for the Spock character. So, a, a Gorn, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, it could be, could be. Anyway, uh, I will not give it away to the folks. Uh, but if, if after we're done, you guys want to know, I'll tell you. But, um, anyway, anything else from this episode that we want to chat about before we're done? I, I just, Phenomenal episode. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I gotta wrap up because I gotta go to bland practice. All right. We'll wrap I'd it up. It, so I'd call it a band, but it's gonna be bland. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the big hole. You wouldn't rate it a 10 out of 10. So <laughs> anyway. Uh Jim, any last parting words? Uh yeah, I gotta go dig in the backyard and do some gardening stuff, pull some weeds. Oh, okay. Thanks for that, that parting wisdom for us. That, that's <laughs> Enjoy the episode. It's fantastic. And we'll see you guys next week for another episode of Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. Awesome show. This week, Security Chief Law on Nooney and Singh, Christina Chong herself, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds writer Davey Perez stop by the ready room. We have Star Trek science consultant Dr. Aaron McDonald on hand to tell us all about using black holes to escape enemy ships. Plus, I've got an exclusive sneak peek at episode five. Transporter room, beam us all directly to the ready room for all this and more. I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek universe. Today we're breaking down episode four of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, our first glimpse at La'an Nooney and Singh's terrifying past. And with that, it is definitely time for a red alert. If La'an's past is unfamiliar territory to you and you don't currently have some lizard-induced heebie-jeebies, then please go back and watch episode four titled Memento More, and then come back here to get all the inside info from Christina Chong herself. That's right. Today, the woman who brings to life one of the surliest security chiefs since Lieutenant Worf, Christina Chong, is here with this episode's writer, Davey Perez, to discuss La'an's unfortunate expertise in all things Gorn, our first mind meld of the series, and what it's been like to join the Star Trek family. Then, Star Trek science consultant at large, Dr. Aaron McDonald, will explain the real science that influenced this week's Out of the Galaxy evasive maneuver when the Enterprise used a black hole to trick the pursuing Gorn into thinking the Enterprise had exploded. Gravitational redshift. Fascinating. But before we get into any of that, Star Trek Strange New Worlds owes a debt of gratitude to its amazing visual effects. Everything from a starfield out a window to the landscape of last week's comet to, well, the Enterprise hiding in the gas of a brown dwarf requires a ton of work to bring to life. Follow along.
as we take a deep dive into how Star Trek's visual effects artists take us to strange new worlds each week. Control room. Engage. So we have an AR wall. Fundamentally what it does is it brings worlds real and imagined, strange or otherwise, to the shooting process. Star Trek Strange New Worlds and Star Trek Discovery are the two first Star Trek shows to use the AR wall or virtual production wall here in Toronto. It was definitely a new learning curve to try and figure out how to incorporate the workflow into the pre-production side of things. We needed to know what the sets were going to be almost six months in advance of shooting them. It fell to me to produce the designs of what ultimately would be the joint AR experience. So I would have to design the physical set, but then that had to connect and bleed through in a smooth, seamless way into the digital asset. It's a spectacular process. What it did was create this, this new sort of sub-department of the art department where we had to develop a logistical plan and working with the visual effects department to provide them with the, the landscape or the interior that we would create in our world. The concepts that would come out would just be these fantastical places that we could never have created before. This is what's eventually going to replace green screen in filmmaking. It's cool for us because we get to see what we're working with. It looks like a holodeck. I think that's the word I'll use. It looks very much like a holodeck and you can just put whatever you want up there and you are transported to these incredibly strange new worlds. We're going to different planets and so to have the AR wall as an asset to really stamp us into the realism, I think it's, it's really cool. It's, it's this great marriage of practical effects and like digital special effects. And to have that work done for you is a huge help. You're, you're generating less imagery in your own mind so you can focus more on your work. And I think it looks incredible on camera. Especially from an acting point of view, it feels like you're almost in the theater. It feels like it's a stage, it feels real, it feels it's easier to get into the environment and feel the environment and feel that you're actually there as the character. Strange New Worlds looks bigger because some of our sets, some of our standing sets are virtual environments. Engineering is gigantic because most of engineering is a projection. It creates the opportunity to act, not make-believe, and, and to react in ways that are in real time and together. It's the cool. In episode 104, we actually have a run-in with some Gorn ships that we've never seen before. So that was in itself an interesting creation, trying to figure out the flight patterns as it would interact in sort of a ship battle with the Enterprise. Akiva, he has been wanting to do something with the Gorn for years. Michael Shabon, my partner on Picard and, and the showrunner for season one and I, we're obsessed with the Gorn. So the Gorn are monsters. They're not analogs for anything. That's an interesting view on the universe and one that I don't think should be discarded. Some things in this universe are just plain evil. The truth is, plenty of people have seen the Gorn. They just don't live long enough to talk about it. From a producing perspective, we were looking for a classic villain to reinvent. The decision that we came to uh, as, uh, as a writer's room was to slow play them. If you use Jaws as a metaphor, when you don't see something, it's often 
even more terrifying than when you do see something. The goal was in designing their ships was to design a ship that doesn't look like a ship that we would understand. In that episode, in episode four, we don't see them. We see them from afar. We see their ships. Their ships are weird. They're alien. We don't understand them. They're terrifying. But very interesting scenes or a creation with Dan Liu, the director, is kind of interesting. They actually took a Hunt for Red October approach where it's almost like a submarine battle. Henry and Akiba both kind of agreed that it would be interesting to see it more like a battle map and create uh, that sort of inner sub feel where it's very claustrophobic and very quiet and tight to really build the suspense. They wanted us to fire. They sacrificed an entire ship just to get our location. Why is that look so much bigger? I am now joined by Christina Chong, who plays Enterprise Security Officer La'an Nudian Singh, as well as Davey Perez, the writer of this week's episode. I am so glad you could both be here with me today in the ready room. Thank you. It's a uh, it's pleasure to be here. Thank you, Will. It's lovely to meet you. Christina, um, on behalf of Legacy Star Trek, uh, as one of the old dudes, uh, welcome to the Star Trek universe. Thank you um, for having uh, me. Tell me about <laughs> La'an and tell me what you love about her. I love playing La'an. It was such a big surprise because I, I accepted this job off of, you know, a few pages of dialogue when you were auditioning. And I had no idea what I was coming into. And season one has just, you know, you get so much of her backstory, especially in episode four. But what I love most about her, I guess, is the fact that she's so courageous, so brave. And, uh, you know, even though she's been through so much trauma in her childhood, she's yeah. um, working to overcome that, you know, no matter what. Um, and it's also very cool that I get to do all the kick-ass stuff. She goes on all the missions. Um, so, you know, I get to experience all the different planets. I get to work with, I think I get to work with almost every character. Um, and yeah, I love her. Davey, I suspect a non-zero number of Trekkies, uh, myself included, lost our collective <laughs> shit when we found out that the Gorn were making a reappearance in the Star Trek universe. I just want to know how the creative team came to the, to the decision of like, yeah, it's going to be the Gorn. Because I have always felt that like they're amazing, they're yeah. legendary, but the, uh, the amount of love for the Gorn compared to the <laughs> amount of screen time the Gorn have received until now seems a little out of balance to me. So talk to me about developing them and why they were the perfect villain for this episode. Well, um, the Gorn was something Akiva Goldsman had in his mind uh, at the beginning. Even when I met to be on the show, uh, he sort of said, hey, you know, what are some of your favorite episodes? And I had, you know, Arena. Of course. Of course. Of you course. know, slow moving Gorn coming after Kirk. That's great. And he said, well, you know, that's one of the big bads that they want to explore. And so I was on board with that concept. I was fortunate enough to get to write this episode. And I think what made them very interesting and unique, uh, bad for this episode in particular was because it's Lon's uh, story. It's her history with them. The Gorn captured my family's colony ship. I was the only one to survive. We don't know that much about them. And we actually use that to our advantage. The unknown is sometimes more scary than what you do know. They're literally just here to destroy you. There's nothing, they can't be reasoned yeah. with. They can't be communicated with. And Christina, we find out a ton about that through Lon's backstory this week. We find out about her childhood. We find out about her brother. We watch her step up and become a Gorn expert on the Enterprise. It's the Gorn, sir. 
It's them. This was a trap. The hologram the colonists has bait. They waited for us to be vulnerable. It's what they do first. Run you down, use up your resources. Tire us out. Smart tactic. And deadly. Emotionally, for her, mm -hmm. it's like a lot mm -hmm. that happens this week. What was it like for you as the actor who plays her to discover all this context about her character? And did you think at all that you were like really adding to her backstory with all of this and it's going to inform her moving forward? Sorry, I'm just, can I say, I just didn't realize how gone appropriate I was dressed. <laughs> Amazing! Yeah. <laughs> My question was that we see so much about La'an this week. We see her relationship with her brother. We see the childhood trauma that she mm -hmm. carries. And, and I'm just really curious to know how you feel about her backstory and what it was like for you as an actor to discover those parts of her. I was very excited. Her whole arc in, in season one is just amazing and getting those emotional scenes as well as the kind of after, after episodes one to three where she's obviously very kind of together put together and then mm -hmm. for being able to really you know let loose with the, uh, with her her trauma and I think what I tried to do with La'an is make that loss personal to me and, and, and my traumas and my childhood stuff and the things that I've lost in my life um, and bring it down to a real core primal level and use that energy uh, in La'an so that hopefully everyone out there who has lost somebody or has experienced that kind of trauma can connect to her on that level. Uh, so for me, it was really almost cathartic in a way to use my stuff and because she is so brave and she's trying to overcome it, um, it's kind of, I'm, it's almost like therapy, let's be honest. It's mm. therapy, mm -hmm. I'm using it and overcoming it through La'an. So I feel like I've been able to play such an array of emotions with her. Uh, so I've been very fortunate and um, yeah, to play La'an. Dave, you had something to add to that. Well, I was gonna say, it's interesting that I got to write a lot of La'an's story this season because, I myself have childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And so in the writing of it and in the talking with Chrissy about the character of it, this was something that we were, we wanted to approach it as not everyone manifested in the same way. Yeah. Everything you've seen on TV is, is a version that we're all aware of, but what is the real truth of somebody who's had this thing happen to them at a very young age and how do they function as an adult? How do they function when a trigger happens? And on top of all of that, now you're face to face with that actual immediate trauma. So mm. uh, I thought Chrissy did a beautiful job bringing all of that to life. And uh, I just wanted to chime in because it was like a, a very kismet sort of yeah. uh, uh, connection between the story we wanted to tell and, and the person who got to bring it to life. Thanks, we talk Davey. a lot about representation on Star Trek and how Star Trek really uh, like like says to everyone, there's a place for you specifically in the future. And just knowing that this episode sort of specifically says, hey, people with mental illness, it's going to be all right. There's a place for you in the future. That's that's really important. None of this is on my cards. All of this just came up organically in this conversation. And I, I appreciate it. Let's move to something a, a little bit lighter. Um, 
I feel watching Strange New Worlds the way I imagine people felt watching the original series. It's brand new, yet it is familiar to me, and it brings so many wonderful, familiar storytelling conventions from the original series. Specifically, in this episode, um, we are uh, we are revisiting a storytelling style that was real prominent in the original series. It came out of the Cold War, yeah. and a lot of our starship combat was based on submarine warfare. <laughs> and I love going into the Brown Dwarf and yeah. being around that black hole. You get the sense that you're in this underwater battle that's very evocative yeah. of uh, Balance of Terror and Absolutely. the Tholian Web, a little bit of the Doomsday Machine, just that sort of thing. So are you thinking about that? Are you oh. like, yeah, man, this is how they did oh, it back in the uh, day? A hundred percent. I mean, you mentioned Balance of Terror, and that, you know, that was one of my favorite episodes. And uh, that was an episode that I think was inspired a lot by, uh, uh, whether intentionally or not, The Enemy Below, which... Oh, a hundred percent. I really wanted to bring that and do a, a classic style episode and have it be a war style film. Uh, I sort of went with uh, Run Silent, when Run Deep, yeah. which was this, uh, you know, they're looking for this thing in an unknown region and they don't know where it is. And there's a, a younger officer with an older officer and they're kind of learning from each other. So I, I 100% was watching uh, a bunch of submarine movies. I can't even tell you in the room how many times one of us would just go one ping, you know. <laughs> so we, you know yeah, all of those films, Red October, I was just watching these submarine movies and then sort of letting that in form what is the the modern trek version of that and and a big part of those f sequences are because of the low tech yeah. because it's radar and because it's you don't know where they are and that's scary and that's spooky i love that you kind of recreated yeah. radar for this it's like you know this thing happens where we're in the future and we have all this great technology that does all this stuff oh no how do we put our people in in, in yeah. trouble how do we pull them away and you just did it in this like very organic like just totally yeah. appropriate way Thank i you. loved that Christina, I've been in Star Trek for 35 years. I've worked with people who are mega fans like myself. I've worked with people who know nothing about Star Trek at all. It's this beautiful continuum. Um, and uh, uh, I know that you live on that continuum as well. Um, and in this episode, uh, Lon engages in a mind meld. Now the mind meld is cool. When you get to be part of the mind meld, like that's a big deal. A mind meld with Spock is an insanely big deal <laughs> in Star Trek. Like for me as a Star Trek fan, if I got to do a mind meld with Spock, I know it's a TV show. I know it's not real. I'm still like just going to lose my mind. I just want to know, what was that experience like? So, I am... Um... Obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're by the by episode four, we're kind of in the thick of it. And I didn't really um, think, I mean, I mean, I didn't really, because obviously Ethan had to do it to me. So I wasn't really aware of or conscious of like researching it and going, okay, mind meld, what is that? Because I was like, okay, he's going to do it to me. He's going to do something. I'm not sure what it is. And so I learned about the mind meld through Ethan. <laughs> and it was only on the okay. day I was like, oh, right, this is a huge thing. Oh, crap, probably should have rehearsed that and looked it up and, <laughs> like, and like <laughs> realized how big it was. But it was only afterwards that I realized, um, which, I kind of, which I kind of think is better for, as the actor because, uh, you know, La'an has never experienced that before ever. So it was like I was experiencing it as La'an for the first time. Obviously, since I've done that, I've realized how, how big of a thing it is. And um, 
yeah, and I think I kind of, no, I'm glad I didn't research it before and, and realize how big of a thing it was, actually. That is fascinating to me and wonderful, the, the, uh, the experience of, I've never done this before. This is brand new to me. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of a moment I had on Next Generation where watching it, I shot it when I was in my teens, I watched it in my 30s and I thought, wow, buddy, you really missed that moment. You blew all of it. Yeah. Watching it again recently, I thought, oh my goodness, this is the first time Wesley's ever experienced this. It's the first time I experienced it mm -hmm. as a person. The reaction is super normal. And if it had been what I intellectually thought it was, it was, it should have been, it would have been completely wrong for the moment. Exactly, and I think the same for La'an as well. Like, exactly, she had to experience that for the first time, yeah. The audience has seen four episodes of Strange New Worlds now. I've had the privilege of seeing most of them. Uh, I, I am just having an incredibly good time watching all of your characters develop. Thank you for your contributions to Star Trek. Uh, we're just at the beginning, uh, and I can't wait to come back at some point in the future uh, and and talk about this again when 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 y'all have a little bit more Star Trek uh, uh, behind you. I'm so interested to hear how your perspectives change over time. I'm really looking forward to it. And just thank you for this incredible character. Thank you. No, thank you, Will. And thanks, Davey, for writing such an amazing episode for Long. Oh, you have to say that, don't you? Yes, I do. No, thank you. You're being sincere. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for always being a pleasure to work with, Chrissy. Aww. We always thank the right... Like, we know if, if it doesn't start with you, there's nothing for us to do. Mm -hmm. We can't make bad writing good. It's just not possible. And actors, actors who know that always thank the always thank the writers. Oh yeah, I I, I appreciate that. Uh, and and I will I will share the love right back. I think a lot of it becomes really easy to write for the characters when the actors. We have such an amazing cast, and you, when you have conversations with them and you understand what the roles mean to them, and then you say, oh, I I can use that in a story, or I can inform the story that I'm telling and use some of that in in a great way. Yeah, and I love the fact that Davey is so patient with me when I'm on set. <laughs> <laughs> He'll sit there and listen to my pitches for the next season. Yeah, yeah. And Christy and I going, have a very you know? uh, fun it. dynamic when I'm up there. It's, uh, it's, it, we have a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, both of you, sincerely, for being here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you again. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Thank you for having us. This episode marks the return of the Gorn to the Star Trek universe, first seen in the TOS episode, Arena. What other Star Trek staple made its debut in Arena? Was it A, tractor beams, B, photon torpedoes, C, hyposprays, or D, replicators? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. Even if the technology Star Trek uses to get our starships to warp doesn't exist in our real lives yet, the team behind Star Trek makes an effort to respect the physical laws of our universe as much as possible. Dr. Aaron McDonald has helped us keep our science fiction grounded in science fact as a technical consultant on every Star Trek series since Discovery. Today in the Ready Room, she gives us some insight into the science that made the newly named Pike Maneuver possible. Take a look. Hi, I'm Dr. Aaron, astrophysicist and science advisor for the Star Trek franchise. Today we're going to look at some science behind this week's Strange New Worlds episode, Memento Mori. In the episode, the Enterprise hides from the pursuing Gorn inside the clouds of a brown dwarf that's tethered in the gravity well of a black hole. First, let's talk about what a brown dwarf actually is. This has to do with how stars form. To get a star, we start with a big cloud of gas, mostly made up of hydrogen, 
the hydrogen in this cloud will slowly clump together, and as it does, it starts to grow in mass, kind of like a snowball forming. And you know how when you rub your hands together, they warm up? This is due to friction. And the same thing is happening in the middle of this big, dense cloud of gas. The particles all start to heat up from friction, and as the cloud keeps getting bigger and bigger, drawing in more and more particles, eventually the hydrogen particles in the center get so pressed together that they fuse and become helium. When this happens, it releases energy in the form of light, and this is essentially the birth of a star. A brown dwarf, however, is a cloud of hydrogen gas that all clumped together into a dense sphere, but there wasn't enough gas around for it to get big enough to cause any fusion to happen. This just means it doesn't give off any light, and it just floats through space as an almost star. But it's still a dense ball of gas, and like Pike says, it's essentially a gas giant. Even though it's not dense enough to fuse and become a star, the center of the brown dwarf is still incredibly dense and dangerous. As Spock says, the pressure against the hull will increase the deeper they go, and the density field will eventually obliterate them. Bottom line informing. The central mass of the brown dwarf has a density that will crush the entire ship. Surrounding that is a volatile gas cloud. We will lose sensors, optics, long-range communications, and most importantly, the shields. We'll be running dark. That sounds perfect. This brown dwarf they hide in is gravitationally bound around a black hole. But what exactly is a black hole? To understand how black holes work, we have to learn about gravity wells and escape velocity. Einstein realized that our universe is essentially a fabric, a sheet of space and time. When you have a massive object, like a star or a planet, it dips that fabric down, kind of like a bowling ball on a trampoline. And this forms what we call a gravity well. The more massive an object is, the steeper and deeper the gravity well, and the faster you need to be moving to escape it. As objects start to get more and more massive, the escape velocity is going to get greater and greater. Eventually, you'll have an object where the escape velocity is greater than the speed of light, and that's what we call a black hole. We can imagine that this system we see of a brown dwarf and a black hole that they find themselves in could have formed when a rogue brown dwarf was making its merry way through our galaxy and found itself trapped in the gravity well of a black hole. It wasn't moving fast enough to escape, and thus it got stuck in orbit around it. Now, the final escape from the Gorn, or the Pike Maneuver, takes advantage of a phenomenon called gravitational redshifting and relativity. When an object falls into a gravity well, its emitted light's frequency stretches out, kind of like a slinky being pulled. Additionally, someone watching from the outside wouldn't necessarily see events happening in real time as the light emitted is taking a little more time to reach them. We're going to slingshot off the black hole and drop the AP350 as a decoy. We pull this off, it's officially the Pike Maneuver. All of the weird relative effects that are happening as an object falls into a black hole gets taken advantage of here by Pike to make it seem like the ship has been destroyed and gives them the space and the time to get away. So, there you have it. I'm Dr. Erin McDonald, bringing you all the science facts behind the science fiction in Star Trek. This episode marks the return of the Gorn to the Star Trek universe. They, of course, were first seen in the original series episode, Arena, 
what other Star Trek staple made its debut in Arena? Was it tractor beams, photon torpedoes, hyposprays, or replicators? And the answer is photon torpedoes. When the Enterprise comes under attack by a Gorn starship while Captain Kirk is on Cestus III, he orders Commander Sulu to fire photon torpedoes for the very first time. We spent a lot of time this week terrifying you with the Gorn, and I cannot imagine terrifying you further by leaving you in the dark as to what next week's episode might hold. Well, luckily for y'all, I've pulled some strings, and I have a clue right here in the form of an exclusive sneak peek. Take a look. I choose Califi. That is ritual combat. Who am I supposed to fight? You will fight him. Fighting myself is so logical. Y'all, thank you so much for watching this week's installment of The Ready Room. Next week, I am joined by Mr. Spock himself, Ethan Peck, along with Gia Sandu, who plays his badass fiance to Pring. Plus, we roped the entire cast of Strange New Worlds into a game more difficult than a round of Anbujitsu. You'll have to watch to find out exactly how it goes. I promise you it will be worth your time. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.